0: Hello, 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 hello. Is this on? Yep, it's on. Anyway, welcome to Our Inner Nerd. Our Inner Nerd, the show where we discuss games, movies, everything that makes you nerdy, whatever. I haven't uploaded an episode in a year. Uh, believe it or not, I, I've, I've been really busy. Yeah, uh, The last time I published an episode was April of last year. When Avengers Endgame came out, my God, has it been that long since Endgame? Uh, yeah, since then, uh, a lot has changed in my personal life. Uh, I've been going to school, which took most of my time. I've been working. I've been getting voiceover gigs, so yay! Woo-hoo! But um, we'll uh we'll talk about that in um in the next episodes to come, I suppose. Anyway, uh, I was supposed to do this episode earlier this month but yeah, I I kept wasting my free time. This lovely, lovely ECQ situation that we have. Just kidding, it's, it, it's, it's not lovely. People are suffering. But yeah, uh, mainly I've been playing a lot of Modern Warfare. Uh, I, I've been rewatching and rewatching The Office, I've been playing Dirt Rally 2.0, it's free on PlayStation Plus, just in case you didn't know. Go download it. It's great. Alongside with, um, it's free. Alongside Uncharted 4, which is also free. What? 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 What did I just say? Uh, yeah, Uncharted 4, Dirt Rally 2.0. Your free ga- free games at PlayStation Plus, April 2020. What else have I been doing? Uh, I've been masturbating. I mean, who isn't right at this time? Go web, go! But I'm not like, you know, masturbating. <laughs> playing video games at the same time that's not that's not very stimulating is it imagine holding a controller with like your one hand and holding your dick with the other interesting skill if you manage to actually play the game right while you're stimulating the little guy that's basically impossible because you can only move your left hand which is like you know the aim trigger uh, the run analog stick what if you, you you come on your controller what then that's really messy and that's hard to clean but if it gets in the, the uh the internals of the, the controller you know semen is really sticky okay it's it's it it hardens over time God, yes mm-hmm. will you come and now i'm talking about jerking off all of a sudden uh, what else have i been doing uh what else oh yeah uh i have a pc now which is a relief it's a really nice change of pace i'm relieved because I finally built my very own PC. Because uh, I've been using my, oh, hit the mic right there. Because I've been using my shitty Windows laptop for years now, and it's been really, really laggy. It it keeps freezing, especially in the times where I actually needed to not freeze. Like a fucking PowerPoint presentation, for example. There was this one time where I was supposed to show this video for the class. You know, I, I was doing a presentation, Excuse me, about uh, prostitution, and it just fucking froze on this very awkward frame. By the way, it was <laughs> it was uh, the contemporary contemporary world subject. Anyway, not important. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it froze on this frame. It's, it's a very awkward frame. i gonna tell you the details. And this classmate of mine, Judy, was like, whoa, stop motion!" And in that very moment, I realized, man, I I, I gotta get a new computer. So yeah, it's, it's been really cool to finally own a PC. I haven't got a graphics card for it yet, though. I'm, I'm saving up for a really good graphics card. I've just been really taking advantage of my CPU. Nay, APU. AMD, bitch. AMD. For the win. Did I just say for the win? This is, I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought it was 2008 back there. I'm sorry. James Bond. No time to die. More like time to die has been delayed. So um yeah, Eon Productions, Barbara Broccoli, the producer, the royal heir of the the Bond franchise, has postponed the release of the 25th James Bond movie. If you're if you're following me on Twitter, on Instagram, you probably know this already. You're probably annoyed by now because I can't shut the fuck up about No Time to Die and James Bond. I don't have a lot of followers who likes Bond movies, okay? So, I reckon most of my followers are, like, already sick of hearing me talking about James Bond movies. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry guys. It's a very uncommon fandom, okay? It's rare to find fans, unless you're like a boomer or something. I can't believe I used that word. I hate that word. But Reese, why? Why delay James Bond? I've seen the trailer. Uh, it's It's practically finished. Don't you know anything? Isn't it obvious? It's because they're going to redesign Daniel Craig's face. Alright, they're gonna redo his face to make him look like Sonic. In case you've been living under a rock somewhere outside the freaking planet, No Time to Die has been cancelled, no, not cancelled, uh, d- uh, delayed, due to a certain worldwide pandemic called The Coronavirus. But yeah, it's no secret that every movie is getting delayed, life, life is basically delayed. Black Widow was delayed, even video games, man, I- I've been waiting for The Last of Us Part 2, the sequel to one of the best video games out there. And with less than 60 days to go, what happens? Oh, yeah, it gets delayed. Yep, The Last of Us Part 2 is delayed indefinitely. It has no release date. It was supposed to come out this May, but no. Everything is being pushed back. Which sucks, man, because I've been waiting for this game forever. Anyway, this isn't an episode for The Last of Us Part 2. This is a Casino Royale episode. So grab your vodka martinis, Vodka martini, shaken, not stirred. Cock your Walther PPKs, and stick your gold finger up your octopussies. Because we're going in-depth on 2006's Casino Royale. Cue the second intro. Czech Republic. It's black and white, but it's not like your common black and white. It's it's this gorgeous black and white. The grain quality of this scene, it's just superb. When I first saw this, I was like, how old is this movie? And this was like the first ever James Bond movie I've, I've seen back in 2008. I was 10 years old. Okay, here we go. A little background on how I was introduced to James Bond. I was 10 years old, I was playing Need for Speed Most Wanted on the PS2, which is, if you didn't know, is an electronic arts game. So I've been in the game, and I was exploring the menus, I'm looking for secret bonuses or secret cars or whatever, then I end up on the settings menu, and I see DEMOS. Under the demo section, I see From Russia With Love The Game, and I'm like, what the hell is this? I was super curious. I thought it was like a sex game or something because of the title. There are a lot of James Bond movies out there that sound like softcore cornos. Octopussy, Goldfinger, Thunderbolt, For Your Eyes Only. I could go on. So I played the demo and I'm like, oh my God, these graphics are amazing this guy i'm playing he is so suave he's wearing this white tux with his silenced handgun i'm riding this jetpack armed with missiles and machine guns i'm flying over the big band trying to save this chick while i'm taking down a helicopter i was such in awe it was like the best game i've ever played back then and that was just a demo so in a few weeks I'm watching the sitcom, Bubble Gang, on local TV with my mom and uh, the commercial runs and we saw this trailer of this action movie. And It reaches the end and it says, Quantum of Solace 007, November 2008. It's got that 007 logo that I've seen before and I'm like, hey, I've seen this logo before. I was wondering, is this based on the game that I just played from Russia With Love and my mom told me. This is James Bond, it's a spy series, and it, sorry if you can hear dogs, it's a spy series and yeah, it's been going, it's been going since the 60s. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then yeah, uh, she filled me up about, uh, about James Bond. Okay, yeah, I, I asked her, can we watch it, please? Uh, she told me if I want to watch Quantum, I should go watch Casino Royale first. She she gets me this DVD copy of Casino Royale. I microwave some buttered Orville Redenbacher, and I just, I fall in love with that movie. Then Christmas came. Mom got me this uh, DVD box set of James Bond movies from 1962's Dr. No, the first ever James Bond movie to Die Another Day. And yeah, I, I fell in love with this series. I wanna be this guy. He's masculine. He's macho, he's slick, he gets the ladies, he gets the gadgets, he gets amazing cars. He's a gentleman, you know? I really, I I really look up to this character. And so does a lot of guys. Anyway, back to the actual review, opening scene. It's late at night, we're in Czech Republic, and it's black and white. It's got this gorgeous film graining. You get that impression that it's gonna be a good noir-esque type film, Uh, we see this man, Dryden, an MI6 section chief. If you don't know what MI6 is, military, military intelligence section six, it's basically the FBI or the CIA of, uh, of Great Britain. Anyway, Dryden, MI6 section chief, he betrayed his country for selling secrets to enemies to make money. So he comes into his empty office, only to find out that his secret safe was opened. And well, what do you know? It's Daniel Craig as James Bond himself sitting in the corner. Not 007 yet, he hasn't got that double O status in this part of the film, uh, which was really cool cause this hasn't been done before in the previous films. Um, when we, when we, when a, M- a Bond movie starts, he's just, he's already 007. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like an origin story of the 007 that we've always known. right? He's there, looking badass, sitting on this lounge chair in the corner, behind the shadows. They chit chat, you know, a little bit back and forth, they're intimidating each other. Dryden's like, I'm offended. If MI6 was so sure that I was this evil traitor, they wouldn't have sent you. They would have sent a 00 agent and you're not one. Mm-hmm. And in order to be a double-O agent, you need two confirmed kills. And then when I realized this, after watching this, the films before this one, I was like, oh, that's how you earned the double-O status. All right, so I'm just gonna murder two people. That's not so hard. Anyway, Dryden's trying to be intimidating. You're not so scary sitting in a dark like that. Quit the theatrics. Uh, Dryden grabs the gun under his desk, points it at Bond, pulls the trigger, well, 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 the gun's empty. Turns out Bond has the magazine for the gun. He knew where he kept it. And then, yeah, we intercut kind of like a, a flashback to a brutal fisticuffs inside a men's room between Dryden's buyer Fisher, his name's Fisher, and James Bond. He is beating the shit out of Fisher. He's he's throwing him around in bathroom stalls and, and then he drowns him. He forcefully pushes the guy's face in a water-filled sink until his lungs fill up with water. So Bond's catching his breath, he's overwhelmed, he just had his first kill, then we come back to the office. Dryden's taunting Bond, trying to get him to show remorse, made you feel it, did he? And Bond's just got his poker face, He's he's expressionless, which is so badass. Dryden says, don't worry. The second kill is, and before he finishes the sentence, Bond shoots him in cold blood with his Walther P-99 with a suppressor, and it sounds so cool. The second is. Yeah, he adds, yes, considerably. Yes, considerably. And I was like, whoa, man, holy shit, not expect that, he's brutal. Uh, this part tells you a lot about uh, this new James Bond that you're about to see. He's cold, he's reckless, and oh yeah, uh, n- not a lot of people who saw this movie knows this, uh, but he's, he, they might have missed it. But yeah, as he shoots Dryden, we got this short little frame, great editing, editing by the way. We get this quick shot of a picture of this guy's family on his desk, falling over as Dryden also falls over by getting shot in the face. It just tells you who this James Bond is, you know, he's got zero remorse. Yeah, it's just an interesting, it's an, sorry, it's just an interesting attention to detail sort of thing. Anyway, we cut back to the men's room. Dryden's contact is on the floor, apparently dead. Bond is catching his breath. He picks up his dropped gun, putting his back behind Fisher's body. Excuse me, did a little burp there. And then Fisher gets up, grabs this gun, points it at Bond, but just before he pulls the trigger, Bond turns swiftly, and then bang, he shoots and kills Fisher. And as he shoots him, it turns out to be the traditional gun barrel sequence. That iconic gun barrel sequence where, where Bond shoots towards the gun barrel, blood rolls down the screen while that iconic James Bond theme plays. But in this case, it's You Know My Name by Chris Cornell instead of the Bond theme, which is an interesting change of direction towards the score of the movie. They don't let you hear that James Bond theme until the end, the ending, which is so, oh man, it, it, we'll talk about that later. This sequence, it, it's quite different, which makes me so in love with this specific gun barrel sequence. Because it is the most unique of all the 24 gun barrel sequences. By the way, I am, I myself am a bit of a gun barrel sequence nut. Okay, I love these things. This is one of my favorite elements of the James Bond franchise. It's one of my favorite traditions. I love watching the, these things, you know? The, the dots on the screen, and then James Bond walks to the center and shoots and blood rolls down it's I love that, man. I love that tradition. So, yeah, uh, he shoots him, blood covers the screen, and it just transitions to this beautiful, beautiful opening credit sequence with Chris Cornell's You Know My Name. We see that it's now red, you know? We, we, we were at black and white, and it's now red. There's now color in the screen, which is why—oh, that's why they made it black and white, for aesthetic purposes. That's pretty cool and pretty neat. and. I guess black and white conveys um, memory, you know, like this was kind of like a, a flashback how th- the movie doesn't exactly start at this at the beginning, you know, it starts after the, 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 the credit sequence. Yeah, this, this opening credits uh, sequence is amazing, the song, the visuals are amazing, the colors, the art style. My favorite part of this, visually, is in the end, where we see this silhouette graphic in the shape of a man. He walks towards us, he walks towards in the screen, and the light sort of shines towards him as he approaches. And oh, who is it? Oh, it's James Bond, who else would it be? Until we end up with uh, this close-up of Daniel Craig's face his blue eyes, his piercing blue eyes, while, uh, I'm I'm not gay, okay? While Chris Cornell is killing it. He's belting, you know my name. 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 It's amazing. Uh, This opening title sequence, by the way, is made by the one and only Daniel Kleinman. If you don't know who he is, he has been uh, the title sequence director of the James Bond movies since GoldenEye in 1995, until, yeah, until now, No Time to Die, with the exception of Quantum of Solace, though, MK-12 did Quantum, which is like this filmmaking company, yeah, I I love, personally, I love Kleinman's work, especially GoldenEye and Skyfall, and yeah, I can't wait to see his work on No Time to Die. I am so excited for that title sequence. I keep wondering about uh, the theme that this man's gonna go for, visually. That's what I'm mostly anticipating. Uh, This song, this song, this song, man. Oh, Chris Cornell, rest in peace. You know my name. They picked Chris Cornell because they wanted to try something new. Because in the previous movie, we get get Shirley Bassey, Tina Turner, uh, Carly Simon there were only a couple of songs that were performed by a male artist. It was mostly female singers. But this time they wanted to try something new, they wanted to reflect the dramatic new direction of this James Bond character. They wanted a strong male singer, so yeah, they got Chris Cornell for it. This song tells you about this new take on Bond, you know? Uh, The lyrics illustrate uh, Bond's psyche in this movie. He's conflicted, he feels emotions, he's human. Which was new to the franchise back in 2006. James Bond never had that emotional punch, you know? Like uh, the previous films where he's like this... Remember Die Another Day? Oh man, if you've seen Die Another Day, the film before Casino Royale. Oh man. He's like this um, invincible super spy who fucks all the ladies, just throws them around and shit. This James Bond story is more grounded. Yeah, I really love this song. It's definitely my top two. My top Bond song, though, is definitely Skyfall. Sue me, alright? Sue me. I love that song by Adele. It it, it sounds so rich, the lyrics, the instrumentation, oh, man. But this isn't a Skyfall episode. Uh, This is a Casino Royale episode, so... Anyway, let's get back to the movie. There's this terrorist group in Uganda, Africa. You know, there's Africans with, with guns, terrorists with uh, uh, eight-year-olds with AK-47s, you know. Um, Obano, the general or captain or something, I don't know the, the ranks. He is having a meeting with a man named Lashif who is so sinister looking that he cries blood and has asthma. He's kind of like Darth Vader, who cries blood. Yeah, he's played by the one and only Mads Mikkelsen, Hannibal, uh, what else? Death Stranding, that that guy, I don't know his name, I haven't played Death Stranding yet. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a private banker for terrorist groups around the world. Uh, their middleman, which is the broker, is an old man named Mr. White, who invests their money and manipulates stocks so they get 100% return on investment. Uh, Obano agrees to allow the money to be loaned to le chiffre le chiffre so you know he could uh, he he just believes in return of an, return on investment you know it's it's a simple evil plan or so we think from this point as the viewers we cut over to Madagascar where we see a cobra fighting a mongoose I don't know there's a commotion. There's a huge crowd, you know, like a kind of like a, a cockpite. Uh, we see Bond and an experienced MI6 agent Carter, who are the most obvious British secret agents in the ground because we're in Africa, right? Oh, not Africa, Madagascar. Is Madagascar part of Africa? I'm not sure. Anyway, I know that it's it's below Africa, right? It's it's in the southeast, I think it's not important. Uh, yeah, we're we're in Madagascar and man and these two <laughs> Bond and agent Carter are white as fuck <laughs> uh, So these two agents are on an assignment to track down Molaka a bomb maker uh, They so yeah, eventually they spot him Molaka receives a message. He tries to exit the commotion but he sees Carter who is touching his ear, his earpiece? You know, his medium to communicate with Bond across the crowd. So Carter is exposed, and Molaka escapes. So the chase is on between Bond and Molaka. Who, by the way, is an experienced freerunner. Fun fact: uh, This actor who played Molaka, Sebastian Fukan, is actually the founder of freerunning. I think. But yeah, uh, he's he's famous in the freerunning world. So back to the chase, Molaka is a free runner. Unfortunately for Bond, they don't teach free running at MI6. And boy, Molaka, this motherfucker is good at free running. So we got Skill versus uh, Brute Force, which is James Bond. Uh, there's this part of the chase where where they're in a construction site. You know, there, there's this dry wall where Molaka goes over, you know, there's a hole up in the wall, like a window or something. James Bond just goes through the fucking drywall. It was so epic. It tells you about uh, these two, you know, without dialogue. The bomb maker relies on maneuverability, he's acrobatic, while Bond just runs through those obstacles like a fucking rhinoceros. Bond uses bulldozers, he's insane, he just... There was this part uh, where they're up on a crane where uh, where the, the bomb maker is uh, climbing up on this cable so he could reach the top of the crane. Meanwhile, Bond just kicks these levers on the crane to uncouple what the crane was carrying, like uh, these, uh, I don't know, these pipes, these heavy pipes. So yeah, he kicks the lever, uh, giving him a, a much faster climb, you know, less effort, because he got himself an elevator type of deal that lifts him up on top of the crane. I love the choreography of this chase. It is so well choreographed. Uh, The editing the cinematography and oh boy the music by David Arnold. I love this guy I love this guy. I love his work. I love how there's actually um, Ethnic instruments in this particular track because you know they're in Madagascar You know which adds that extra immersion as you're watching the sequence. I mean listen to this Yeah, uh, a really well-made chase sequence that ends at the Numbutu Embassy, where Bond finds his way inside by sneaking in, I guess. Again, instead of being subtle, uh, Bond just walks in the the ambassador's office, and he, and he just punches him on his fucking face and beats the shit out of the bomb maker and brings him outside. He's he's cornered at gunpoint, he drops his gun, chucks the bomb maker to them, the soldiers and the guards at the, uh, the embassy, you know, he's outnumbered, but Bon has got a second gun. He chooses to shoot the bomb maker, killing him, which drives M crazy later, and he also shoots uh, a, a propane tank on the corner which gives Bond the chance to escape, and he does. Oh, by the way, uh, there's like zero CGI on this movie, at least, I think. It it relies a lot on practical effects, which is why I love this movie. Because, uh, yeah, our movies nowadays, you know, it it relies a lot on CGI. It's oversaturated with CGI our cinema, which I really hate. I'm sorry, sue me, because there's like zero excitement when you know it's CGI, right? That's why I'm honestly—I know I'm like crazy about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Marvel superhero Spider-Man, but I'm honestly fatigued because you know these these multi-million-dollar-budget superhero films relies on you know visual effects, uh, computer-generated imagery, uh, blue screens and shit. You know, it's it's It sucks. It's oversaturated. So yeah, uh, for some reason, Bon escapes that uh, close-range propane explosion, apparently. I'm surprised that he didn't even get like a shrapnel cut his arm or something. Because when propane tanks, when anything explodes, shrapnel goes all over the place. It scatters at high speed. Anyway, uh, it's, it's not important. Uh, bon escapes with Mulaka's backpack. In it, he finds C4, which is a massive relief that it didn't blow up with the tanks. He also finds Mulaka's phone, leading him to the next clue of who hired him and why. In the inbox, he finds an American phone number that texted the word ELLIPSIS. So the plot thickens. What could it mean? Dot dot dot. Literally. So, we are now in England, we are now in Parliament. Uh, we see M, which is, if you didn't know, is head of MI6. And oh my god, I love M in this film. She is so cool. Judi Dench is so cool. Like there's there's this uh, great line that she says, in the old days, if an agent did something that embarrassing, he'd have the good sense to defect. Christ, I miss the cold war. You really get that relationship between her and Bond in this one scene, you know, in that one line. Like, if this were to be the first Bond movie you ever see, you'd understand what relationship they have with each other. You know, she's sassy, he's irresponsible, she's always disappointed, he's egotistical and reckless, she's condescending towards him, etc, etc. So obviously... M is furious yet again at Bond. She had just given him his 007 status and he celebrated by blowing up an embassy, causing a scandal between the international relationship of Great Britain and Madagascar. But don't worry, it's not going to be a subplot or anything. Meanwhile, Bond is tracing the text with an MI6 laptop. Suddenly, he tracks down the location of where the text was sent. Only where the text was sent, because this was like 2006, right? Smartphones weren't invented yet, so you can't just profile a person with a phone number or track their location with a GPS. Remember those uh, Nokia 3310s, you know, those those indestructible Nokias? FYI, the text was sent at the Bahamas in an ocean club. Get this, it's called the Ocean Club, which is an ideal setting where your 60-year-old uncle and grandpa would go on their sexcapades. You know, everybody's asleep at 7 p.m. <laughs> it's, it's an old folks place. There's a lot of old folks here. It's an ideal place, you know, where they could play Texas Hold'em Poker all night long, where they could have affairs with hookers that they pick up at the bar who'll be giving them unlimited tug-tugs under the table. Oh, Roxy, oh, Anastasia, not so hard, it hurts when I come too fast. Go, Webb, go! Now put it in my arsehole! So, it, it turns out Bond was tracing the text at M's apartment with M's computer. Which was super weird, but I guess he's you know he's hiding or something, and the ideal place for hiding is Am's apartment. Apparently, your boss's apartment. So Am is startled when she arrives. Uh, they're arguing back and forth, back and forth. Am is trying to say. You know, you act, man, you act with your ego. Take your ego out of the equation. I promoted you to be 007 because I want you to judge this situation dispassionately as you can. She's she's basically telling him to be more responsible with his lightweight trigger finger because he's a 00 agent now. She expects professionalism. Meanwhile, his argument is, I did take my ego out of the equation. But I thought one less bomb maker would make the world a little better. I'm, I'm going to stop doing the accent. I'm sorry. And Em's like, well, th- that's your problem, man. Any thug can kill. I want you to think before you act. You're trying to track down an international terrorist organization. And no thanks to him, he compromises the mission by shooting up the bomb maker. And now they'll never know who hired him or why. She tells him to fuck off and stick his head in the sand somewhere because Parliament wants his ass. And M says over her shoulder, oh, I love her man, she says, don't you dare break into my house again. I will have you killed, which is so badass. But What I love about M in this reboot is that she key cares about 007 and she hates him for being reckless at the same time, but she key tries to raise Bond right. Kind of like a mother to her failure of a son, which we will see further in Skyfall. James Bond arrives in beautiful Bahamas in this gray peace suit, and he looks so good. I mean really, really good. Flourish it with David Arnold's score. Listen to this. In this scene, that was the first time we get that glimpse of the Bond theme. You know, it was just it was just casually sitting there behind the, uh, the you-know-my-name rhythm, teasing us, which makes me so happy whenever I hear this track. We haven't heard that iconic Bond theme yet throughout this point, because, you know, he, he, he's not James Bond yet. Which is also evident on the next shot as he arrives in the Bahamas. I mean, uh, uh, the, the Ocean Club. Yeah, as, as, as he was driving to the Ocean Club, uh, we see him in a fucking Ford Focus. After watching that for like the third time, before I, I became fluent to the bon, Bondian culture, I was laughing so hard at this. Why is he driving a Ford Focus? He's supposed to be driving Aston Martins at this point. Isn't he James Bond? And I'm like, oh yeah, he's not James Bond yet. Good point. He doesn't know what that name means yet. What would he be doing with an Aston Martin? He was just promoted to double-O status. So yeah, uh, great attention to detail here. He arrives at the Ocean Club. The girls are thirsty for him. You can see his fucking biceps trying to come out, his white shirt. Yeah, just, he looks good, man. No homo. So he crouches down, uh, at like, uh, the outside, the entrance of the Ocean Club. And he pretends to tie his shoelace. He's he's using that uh, to stall. It gives him the chance to recon the area for surveillance cameras and shit. And yeah, that's that's what he does. And your 60-year-old uncle and grandpa arrives. Just kidding. There, uh, they're the type of people who would be on ocean clubs, you know, trying to have their sex capades before they get sent to elderly homes. Yeah, those type of people, you know. This place is basically an old folks' home. A lot of old people here. Anyway, these two random old guys arrive with their Range Rover. And uh, yeah, Bond kind of looks like a valet staff because of his white shirt. Uh, the men were like, hello, are you gonna take this or make me wait? That was a terrible accent, I'm sorry guys. I'm kind, a bit racist too. Anyway, James replies, uh, certainly sir, sorry sir. And I love how it just runs smoothly, you know? He just plays along, he's thinking and he's acting simultaneously. That's pretty, it's pretty cool, It's it's really suave. Like he knows that, hey, this car could be useful. I'm gonna drive it into that wooden fence over there in the parking lot so hard that it would trigger the car alarms to go off on the other side of the fence, causing a huge diversion for security to check. And then I can sneak my way into the surveillance room, undetected. And yeah, that's, that's exactly what happens. So his inside, he scans through the security footage archive. Eventually, he spots the sender, this gentleman, um, he's getting out of this beautiful, iconic 1964 Aston Martin DB5. But shit, who is this man? I don't know who this man is. So the super sly secret agent James Bond walks up to the concierge, asking, "Hey, um, I scratch. I, yeah, he's acting. So, hey, um, I scratched this guy's car accidentally. The car is an Aston Martin DB5. It's a vintage Aston Martin DB5 outside. Do you happen to know who the owner is, so I could apologize?" The concierge answers, um, his name's Alex Dimitrios. He owns a house by the beach. The next scene, oh boy, the next scene. Strap in, boys and girls, because it's about to get sexy wet in here. So, yeah, uh, our next shot is the white, sandy beach of Nassau. It's nice, it's sunny, it's sandy. Until Daniel Craig, the one and only James Bond, comes out of the water. He is wearing the tightest the shortest swimming trunks he's wet water is dripping down his body his abs his triceps his body is just holy shit he is ripped he is jacked and i swear to god when i first saw this scene i I was 10 years old i went down and did push-ups because i wanted to be ripped like this guy but every time i rewatch this scene now i just i just get super super depressed because i go like when am i gonna battle obesity so fat. And yeah, I just I just get depressed and I, I grab sliced bread afterwards and eat it on its own. So finally he investigates Alex Dimitrios through MI6's secure website. And M's assistant, or whatever his name was, let's call him Male MoneyPenny, is spying on him. And he snitches on him. He calls M in the middle of the night. M's like, how the fuck does he know all these things? Like, yeah. Uh like how did he uh, how did he know where I lived? How does he know my password? Yeah, she's basically just super annoyed. So yeah, it turns out Demetrios is associated with Le Chifre, the guy from um from before Uganda. The banker, the private banker, who by the way, is in a yacht near the ocean club. Yeah, uh Demetrios is the middleman. He is a broker for Le Chifre and Le Chifre hires Demetrios to find someone that could do a task for him, a very big task. Le Chiffre wants to blow something up. It was supposed to be Malacca from Madagascar, but he's dead now, shot by Bond. So he needs a new guy, a new bomber. So what could Le Chiffre want to blow up? We'll see in a sec. Meanwhile, that evening, they play a little poker. Uh, Bond joins a poker match where Demetrios happens to be in. You know, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, the bar in the, the Ocean Club. Uh, yeah, his wife, Demetrios's wife, comes over to give him a little kiss for good luck. But it turns out he's already out of luck because she was two hours late. Uh, so yeah, Demetrios is an asshole to his wife. Bond notices that. But after some time, after some time, after Demetrios runs out of poker chips, he puts uh, the Aston Martin DB5 on the pot. But yeah, in- eventually Bond wins so he wins the db5 from a little game of poker after that moment when bond reveals his winning hand the bill comes in for Demetrios. it looks expensive it looks pissed and we get that uh, another hint of that theme with bond's little smirk uh, it was so good it was really cool so yeah, Bond sleeps with Dimitrios's wife eventually. I like how natural Bond picks up chicks in this reboot, you know, it's just so natural and believable. It's smooth. Unlike other Bond movies where he just winks at them and they take their panties off immediately for him. But no, this one. This certain Bond girl, her name is Elange, by the way, Dimitrios's wife. She's more of a Bond woman than she is a Bond girl. You know, she, she uses Bond as much as Bond uses him. He wants information on Demetrios. She hates Demetrios, her husband, so she wants to get plowed by another man. So they—they—they're using each other. It's a great way of, um, you know, modernizing things, updating things. So after some time, in and out, in and out, in and out, he asks her if the word ellipses mean anything to her. And then her phone rings, it's Demetrios. He tells her to uh, don't wait over you bitch. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be taking the last flight to Miami. I'm not putting out tonight. Mm-hmm. So Bon finds out that Demetrios is going to uh, to Miami, so she so he leaves Solange to tell Demetrios. we get this moment where he likes uh, order champagne and caviar and shit, and the receptionist asks for two, and he's like, No for one, it, it, was an, it was nice, it was classy. But talk about blue balls, though. And Yeah, we cut to Miami, we just transitioned from Bond driving the DB5 to a taxi cab in Miami, so we, we skipped the plane ride for some reason. It wasn't necessary, I guess. Bond tails Demetrios towards this exhibition, the Science Museum. Bond notices that Demetrios dropped off a duffel bag at the baggage counter. He enters the exhibition and drops off the uh, I don't know what it's called. You know, those number thingies that they give you when you deposit something on the baggage counter. Yeah, as Bond notices that he dropped off the number on this table, uh, he lost sight of Demetrios. And then boom, it's a bit of a jump scare. Demetrios spawns behind Bond with a switchblade. But a scrawny man with curly hair versus a Jack British super spy. And of course, Bond kills Demetrios. By disarming the knife from him, he stabs him in the heart. It's very low key, it's very discreet doesn't shout anything for some reason. I mean, if I were to get stabbed, I would definitely yell, you know? Ah, he's got a knife! But yeah, uh, there's no blood, of course. It's rated PG. Yeah, it seems like he's just taking a nap at a boring old museum. He has his eyes closed. Uh, yeah, I love this scene. It's a simple action sequence, yet it is so intense. You know, it's it's just two men in a crowd. It's discreet. And the music really makes your palms sweaty. It's really unsettling. The number's gone, the contact picked it up, uh, the duffel bag is gone as well. Uh, so, Bond picks up Dimitrios' phone. Well, what do you know, another ellipsis message sent. He doesn't know what to do, the bag is gone, you know, he, he's thinking, he's thinking here. And he's like, oh, right, I can call his contact, see if he picks up. I mean, he can't be far, he must be close. So that's exactly what he does. The guy picks up, he spots him getting in a cab, leading Bond to Miami International Airport. Tails his contact but he doesn't tell him very good, because he ends up blowing his cover by a reflection. Uh, The contact was looking at this sunglasses stall, you know, those things that rotate. He sees Bond, he evades him, he goes to a changing room at a nearby clothing store, opens a duffel bag, and then it turns out it contains a disguise. It's a security uniform and a bomb that is remote detonated. It's like this keychain, you know, it's a small and compact bomb. It doesn't even look like a bomb. Oh, yeah, the contact goes through a security office, uh, and then Bond sees him. Bond tries to chase him through there, but it closes, and the door is password protected. And he's like, shit, now what? So he calls M to have her warn the authorities at the US for a bomb is about to go off at Miami International. And he realizes that Ellipsis, Ellipsis, what could that mean from this point on? All oh, right, it's the password. What else could it mean? So he hangs up on him. Goes through the security area. Uh, the contact pulls a fire alarm. Everyone starts running. Everything is wet, slippery. People are panicking. He, you know, he triggers the fire alarm. So sp- sprinklers are activated. Why, why do I keep calling him Contact though? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm gonna call him Bomber from this point on. Never mind. Uh, his name's Carlos. I googled, but I'm still gonna call him Bomber. Everyone starts running around at the airport. At Mi6, uh, they do a little Google search. Turns out there's a plane being unveiled at Miami International, the Skyfleet prototype, which is this humongous plane. That is the target of Le Chiffre, so he wants to blow this airplane to bits. His plan is to short sell the hundreds of millions of dollars that he got from Abano in Skyfleet stock. And if this plane is destroyed, the stock will plummet and will send the Skyfleet company to bankruptcy. And Le Chiffre. Will earn millions more because he betted against the Skyfleet stock. So M calls Bond, tells him that the Skyfleet plane is the target. Go after him. Yeah, I like how it's not like the end of the world, you know? There isn't a death ray up in the freaking sky, up in outer space, no world domination bullshit, no evil sauce that turns people into murdering psychopaths. It's just a dude who wants to be super rich. Not rich, super rich. It's believable, you know? It is more micro than it is macro. And yeah, so uh, he chases him. The whole scene is so cool, is so well done. But in the interest of time, we end up with the bomber driving around a tank truck that carries around fuel. You know, it's a it's thousand gallons of gas. It's highly explosive. He's gonna use it to make the explosion more severe for the plane. I'm telling you, this sequence is so well made. I like that this one part where Bond's running, chasing the truck on foot. I like how he climbs up these air stairs. You know, the mobile air stairs at the airport. Those stairs for the uh, the passengers so they could get inside planes. Yeah, those things. Yeah, he predicts where the truck would go and with his fast and critical thinking to get the drop on him, he climbs the stairs as the truck passed by it. It was so cool. It ends with uh, the truck going towards the plane. Uh, the bomber ditches the truck. Bond stops the truck only a few feet away from the plane. The bomber then detonates the bomb, and then boom. The bomber explodes into bits. But we don't see that though. We just see we just see Bond's face and it's Bond's face. He's got this evil little smirk. It's pretty cool. Quite the twist, huh? It turns out Bond sneakingly removed the keychain bomb from the the truck during the process of the chase and placed it on the bomber's trousers. It's a fantastic scene. It's intense, it's unpredictable, which is what you want from an action sequence. I love it. I love it. The next day, we go back to the Ocean Club in Bahamas. Solange, Dimitrios' wife, has been murdered. She's wrapped around in this hammock by the beach. MI6, the FBI, is all over this shit. It turns out she was tortured and drowned for her because she was the only one left alive. So Le Chiffre assumed that she talked. Meanwhile, Bond is just, you know, he's emotionless here. He was just cold while he was looking at the corpse. So we get a little low-key briefing from M. M explains to Bond Le Chiffre's evil plan. She tells him about 9-11, how the airline stocks sank after that horrific tragedy. While well, everyone was in despair, people lost their loved ones, someone at 9-12 made a fortune. The same thing would have happened if Bond didn't stop the bomber at Skyfleet. Instead, someone lost over $100 million by betting on the wrong horse. MI6 assumes that it's Le Chiffre because he set up a high-stakes poker game at Casino Royale in Montenegro. What a dope-ass name, huh? Casino Royale. 10 players, $10 million buy-in, $5 million rebuy, wiener, wiener. Winner takes all, around $150 million. So M puts Bond in the game because he is the best player in the service. M tells him, trust me, I wish it wasn't the case. But yeah, he will be replacing someone who's playing for a syndicate. If Bond wins and Le Chiffre loses, he will have nowhere to run. He is a marked man. Le Chiffre is already a marked man for failing the Skyfleet uh, bombing. So yeah, his clients, his creditors are after his ass, especially Obano. Bono. MI6 will give him sanctuary in exchange of the name of his creditors, if he loses. So M puts a tracker on Bond so she would know wherever Bond is around the world. So we go down to Montenegro, Southeastern Europe. Bond is on a fancy train ride to Casino Royale. And I love the establishing shot of this train in this scene. It feels straight up from a Harry Potter movie. The camera work, the theme, the mood. This scene is one of the most memorable scenes in the Bond franchise, because we are introduced to one of the most amazing, most sophisticated Bond girls in the franchise. Actually, no, she's not a Bond girl. She's not the definition of a Bond girl. She's the definition of a woman. A real woman. I guess I said that because Bond girl is a different term from a woman. For years, a Bond girl would be, you know, a sexual object that Bond would use and dispose of. They're basically Bond's cum dumpster. The Bond girl definition immediately falls in love and kneels down to James Bond. But this woman, Vesper Lind, she is a ballbuster. She is smart. And that's what I love the most about this Bond girl. Not Bond girl, woman. Uh, she's sophisticated. She actually intimidates Bond in a way that Bond actually feels like his charm is being challenged. And this Bond woman is somewhat impervious. Ladies and gentlemen, Vesper Lind. I'm the money. Every penny of it. Vesper Lind, by the way, is played by the sexy, the beautiful, the talented Ava Green. So Vesper is a representative from Her Majesty's Treasury. She's been assigned by the British government to aid Bond in this mission. But her main purpose is the eyes and the go-or-no-go signal of the British government. She's basically gonna monitor Bond more like it. Uh, She will be keeping an eye on the money. So if you're wondering where the $10 million is, which is the buy-in in the poker game, Vesper says that it has already been wired by the government through Bond's account in Montenegro. So he's basically ready for the game in Casino Royale. Just wanna clear that up. So it's up to Vesper. It's Vesper's call as representative of the treasury. If Bond loses the $10 million in the game, it's up to Vesper to decide if the British would transfer the $5 million rebuy. So Bond has got to do well here, for queen and country is counting on him. She reminds Bond that if he loses, he would have had basically funded terrorism. And I like that line. It reminds you the stakes of this poker game. The dialogue and the chemistry of these two characters, these two actors, is just fantastic. I like her introduction in this movie. I like how she was introduced. It's so memorable and yet it's no big deal. It's just dialogue. She just walks up on Bond in this compartment restaurant thingy in the train and her first line is, I'm the money. And Bond sizes her up. He checks her out and replies, Every penny of it. And that was a low-key Easter egg. It was a homage to the Penny character, which was M's secretary in the previous Bond films. I love their chemistry, man. They're testing each other out. Bond tries to charm her up, but she's just too impenetrable. In this scene, it feels like for the first time, Bond seemed challenged by a woman, and he just smiles it out, you know? He's like, oh, this isn't the girl that I got used to. She's quite different. She's smart. And that is why this chemistry works vesper is such an interesting character i love her here right now i'm telling you she is the best bond woman in the franchise she is so well written from 1962's dr no up to 2015's specter i believe that she is the best bond woman in the franchise but we'll see, in No Time to Die, if they make Leia Sedu's Dr. Madeleine Swan more compelling and more interesting. Because personally, she could have used better character writing in Spectre. I personally didn't like her character. But I think Leia Sedue is a wonderful actress. So these two are going together undercover as a couple. Their aliases, Mr. Arlington Beach, professional gambler, and Stephanie Broadchest. At least that's what Bond says as he was reading this context note from MI6. And I liked this one conversation that they had where like, you know, since they're undercover as a couple, they would be sharing a suite. And Vesper's like, my family is strictly Roman Catholic, so it's better for my character that we get a two bedroom suite instead. And Bond replies, I do hate it when religion gets in the way. She adds, religion and a securely locked door. Am I going to have a problem with you, Bond? He replies, don't worry, you're not my type. She's like, smart women. And he answers, single. And I love that exchange that they had. I love them. They're a match, their intuition, their wit. So the undercover couple now arrives at their hotel. Hotel Splendid or Hotel Splendid in their sophisticated European accent. So as they arrive, Bond intentionally blows their cover. they walked up to the receptionist he just goes He just straight up goes fuck this i'm james bond i have a room reservation under the name beach and this is vesper lynn she represents her majesty's treasury and he and she just gets pissed off vesper gets pissed bond's making this bullshit excuse to why he did it basically Chiffre already knows that i'm coming for him so that tells me he's already agreed in playing with me so there's no reason for a cover and vesper's like no, it's your ego. You're egotistical. Now the knows that you're reckless and overly confident for breaking our cover. And she gets in an elevator, she goes, Take the next one. There's not enough room for me in here and your ego. Then, Bond gets a package from reception. It's a manila envelope containing car keys. He is supplied with an exotic 2006 Aston Martin DBS V12 sports car. But it doesn't turn invisible this time. It doesn't have 10,000 rockets hiding in the hood. I'm looking at you die another day. Jesus Christ, die another day. What the fuck were you thinking? This car has been my dream ride ever since I saw this film. It is stunning. It's gray, it's slick. And if I had like a hundred million dollars, this is the first thing that I would buy. I would put this thing in the garage next to my... (laughs) My Suzuki scooter. Oh man, that's right. I still don't have a car. I am carless. I am miles away from getting my own personal car, which is really, really sad. So yeah, he gets in a DBS. It's supplied with a personal defibrillator, a first aid kit, and a Walther P99 with a suppressor. Or in this case, in the movies, it's called a silencer. I really wish the P99 would make a comeback, you know? Casino Royale was the last Bond movie to use a more modern Walther handgun, you know, the P99. Since then, Bond has been using the old school PPK. I know that the PPK is like 007's more iconic gun, but in reality, Bond should definitely stick with a P99 because to be honest, it's more effective. It can hold more bullets. It has a better caliber, it has a slide stop for more tactical reloads. Just cause you play Call of Duty doesn't make you a weapons expert. Yes it does! But yeah, it's basically much more of a comfortable gun. It's more effective. Yeah, other than the gun, all the gadgets in this movie is just a tracking device, the defibrillator, and that's it. It's another way of really making things more realistic. This is much closer to what espionage actually really is. It's not a death ray up in outer space, it's not laser watches, it's not miniguns attached to a car, etc, etc. Bond and Vesper now meets their contact in Montenegro by the name of Mathis, Rene Mathis. Played by, I'm not even gonna pronounce that name, but I'm going to anyway. Giancarlo Giannini. This spaghetti linguini. spaghetti linguini pizzeria. Basically, he's this old dude that happens to be super sly and super slick. He fixes things. He's basically Winston Wolfe from Pulp Fiction. You know that guy that Quentin Tarantino calls because Sam Jackson and John Travolta accidentally shot this black kid in the car? Yeah, basically, he's that guy, he's a a problem solver, he's gonna help Bond out. In the next scene, we see the couple getting ready for the evening's game. We see Vesper putting on her makeup, and she just looks so goddamn beautiful without makeup on. And yeah, we hear that Vesper theme for the first time in this scene. And it is one of my favorite tracks in the film. It is an absolutely beautiful track. It's tender, it's romantic, and I like that it's memorable too. Yeah, so Bond gets her this lush and sexy purple evening dress to wear at the game. So Bond's opponents would be thinking of Vesper's neckline instead of their cards, which is basically like, you know, a distraction. She says with sarcasm on her voice, I'll do my best. And as Bond walks in his bathroom, he finds a wonderfully fit tuxedo from Vesper. And he's like, Wait a minute, I already have a dinner jacket. And she's like, The dinner jackets and dinner jackets. I need you looking like a man who belongs in that table. You know, it's it's just so good. It's so witty. They're back and forth. And then we get the shot of James Bond looking at himself wearing the tuxedo and he's like, Hey, not bad, this fits perfectly well, oh boy, oh boy. He looks so good in the tux. And as he was checking himself out, we hear another glimpse of the Bond theme. This is more of a proper sneak peek of the Bond theme, you know, unlike the other one from when he arrived at the Bahamas. We hear the sly tapping of the cymbal, and we hear the French horns. The trumpet that goes, wah, 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 you know, this is all awesome. We got the theme going. We got the tux. It is on. It's starting to look familiar now. This new James Bond, oh man, it's building up to the James Bond, the 007 that we've always known. And shout out to Ava Green. She is the perfect counterpart for Bond. I love her performance, and I can't say that enough. Now then, we are now in Casino Royale and Bond is looking sharp. By the way, I love the camera work in this movie, you know, like in this part of the movie, you know, it's a casino, it's a poker game, so there are these cheesy pan movements, those cheesy cross-dissolve transitions to present time passing by, because this is a poker game, it's a boring, it's a boring, boring thing. But with this, but with the camera work, the proper camera work, the proper editing, they make it seem interesting. The camera work is just splendid. The close-up shots of the actor's face, the extreme close-up shots to guide us about their tell. And now, it's time for Reese's new segment, What the frick does this word mean? Tell. Noun, a tell in a poker game is a change in players behavior or demeanor that is claimed by some to give clues to that players assessment of their hand. A player gains an advantage if they observe and understand the meaning of another players tell, particularly if the tell is unconscious and reliable. So basically, a tell is a players set of techniques in bluffing, this includes fidgeting, tapping, showing ticks to seem like, you know, you're anxious, uh, making eye contact to signify that you have a weak pair of cards. Yeah, tell. It is an important word in this movie. That's why I needed to clear that up. Now then, Bond finally crosses paths with Le Chiffre. They shake hands. And you must be Mr. Arlington Beach. Or was it James Bond? I'm confused. And he just plays it cool and replies, No, we wouldn't want that, would we? Which is this kind of tense moment. But I'm not sure how to feel because there's no music going on. It feels low key. But now that I think about it, maybe the director did this intentionally because, you know, they're being discreet. They know each other's backgrounds. Le Chiffre knows that this is a British agent, but they're clearly pretending. So yeah, no music. Now then, the game is about to start and we see Jeffrey Wright in the background. But what character is he playing in this movie? Hmm, we'll see in a bit. Now the banker of this game arrives, which is like (laughs) the happiest Swiss fella in this dark casino filled with criminals, syndicates and terrorists. He'd probably go, Which part of the body does a terrorist wear his watch? His terror wrist." (laughs) He explains that each poker player has their money in a Swiss bank in escrow while they play. And each one has a password to keep the money secured. Each player comes up to the Swiss banker and makes a password of their choice. Vesper has the account number, but only 007 knows the password. So basically, there's this device encryptor, which is this briefcase, that secures the money, but not the physical cash, okay? It's... uh If you win the game, all you gotta do is enter the password of your choice and the funds would be electronically transferred to the winner's account number. So all of the players has now created their password and it's now time for the big game. Vesper arrives. And oh man, she is looking so elegant. She's super sexy, I love her eyes. The way she walks towards Bond and wishes him good luck. She is such a beautiful, attractive lady. I still love my girlfriend. Oh, and he orders the iconic dry martini. And before he says, shaken, not stirred, he orders it in the way that Bond orders it in the books, which sounded so Delicious. Dry martini. Oui, monsieur. Wait. Three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of quinoa lily. Shake it over rice and then add a thin slice of lemon peel. Yes, sir. After watching that, I wanted to dry a dry martini. And I like how he made it sound so good that everyone else in the table's like, you know, I'll have one of those. So will I. Jeffrey Wright also orders one as well, but without without the fruit and Le like, what the fuck guys, can can, can we play poker now please? I have African warlords coming for my ass. And Jeffrey writes just like, someone's in a hurry. After a couple of rounds, Bond loses a chunk of money only because he wanted to figure out Le tell. He tells Mathis and Vesper by the bar across the table. His wounded eye actually twitches when he bluffs so that could be useful. Meanwhile, Vesper is not impressed because Bond is losing a good chunk of the government's money. Mathis then gives James a tiny tracking device that he would later put in Le Chiffre's inhaler. So they could, I don't know, maybe spy on him or something. I'm not quite sure why Bond decided to tail Le Chiffre all of a sudden, but there you go. After playing for four hours, it was time for a short break for everyone. Le is summoned to his suite by his girlfriend, Valenka. But Obano was inside the suite to ambush him alongside his henchmen. He strangles Le insisting, where is my money? Because, you know, he lost it because of the Skyfleet incident. Then they threaten to cut Valenka's arm off. But Le doesn't twitch, he doesn't care. Meanwhile, Bond, with his silenced P99 and an earpiece, tails him with Vesper. They're outside La Suite, until they hear Valenka screaming, but it sounds like they're plowing each other though. So he tells Vesper to go back to our room, but the elevator was called, it'll be too late. So Bond tells her to take the stairs instead, but Obano and his henchmen comes out. So Bond and Vesper are playing it cool, they're pretending to be just making out by the stairs, but, The henchman notices his earpiece, hears Belenka's breathing through it, and they blow their cover. Now it's a stairwell fight, which is probably the most violent action sequence in this movie. He kicks off the henchman off the stairs, and he falls dead. And now it's him and Obano. By the way, the hand-to-hand combat choreography is so well made. Shout out to that. Obano's got a machete, Bond has just got his fist, and he has to keep him away from Vesper. It's really an intense moment. I found myself actually sweating to this the first time I saw this. It was brutal. It's violent. And yeah, the confrontation ends with Bond trying to strangle Obano to death, but Obano has got the Walther P99 in arm's reach. So Vesper, who was so traumatized after this, by the way, makes a choice in disarming Obano by repeatedly slamming his hand on the floor. Vesper's watching Bond strangle this man to death. She sees Obano's life being taken away from him brutally. She's new to this. She's from the treasury. This is all new to her. And the camera work, the quick cuts, the editing is just superb. You really get that sense as the audience of how Vesper is feeling in all this. You'd relate to her. This is what it feels like to watch someone get murdered in front of you. Killing in this movie feels heavy you would feel that there would be consequences. Bond isn't a dude who just mows down hundreds of dudes, okay? I'm looking at you, Pierce Brosnan and Roger Moore. This all feels real. Killing in this film is a big deal. So Bond tells Vesper to find Mathis so that he could have it cleaned up. And it also shakes up Bond. We get the scene of him in the bathroom, washing the blood off off his face. And he is a bit shook. I mean, he is a double O, M expects him to kill in cold blood, but he is still human. He isn't invincible. We see him drown himself in scotch to fully force his nerves out, and then he stares at himself in the mirror, as if he's trying to, s- to tell himself that this is who you are, this is what you do, so get your shit together and finish the job. Without actually saying those words out loud but you can see what is going on behind those eyes. I love this scene and it's just so powerful. Even if this scene has no dialogue, Bond could never talk about how he feels because he's a man. He has an internal dialogue. I love this movie. So Bond goes back to the game and Le Chiffre notices that he changes shirt. He goes, I hope our little game isn't causing you to sweat to perspire. And Bond just replies, maybe a little bit, but I won't consider myself being in trouble until I'm weeping blood. Which is basically a way of roasting him in the fact that he has an eye condition. Bond's comeback was just so badass. So after the game that evening, Bond goes back to his suite and he finds Vesper. Fully clothed, Sitting on the shower floor, she's shaken up after witnessing someone get murdered. She's freezing. She feels accountable for the murder of that man. I mean, secret agent assassin James Bond, licensed to kill, who does this for a living, still got shaken up. Imagine what this has done to Vesper, an accountant. So Bond sits with her, consoles her. She tells him that she can't wash the blood off of her hands. She's scared. It's not coming off and Bond just straight's up everybody gets weirded out by this i don't know why he just straight's up grabbed vesper's uh fingers and sucked it off off of her everyone goes his finger looking good but no to me actually this was a beautiful moment it's his way of telling vesper that he won't let anything happen to her and that, that is so sweet and you know what else is good they don't fuck Which was honestly a really smart move by the directors. They don't turn it into a cliché love story. You know, where a woman goes through trauma, man comforts woman, man fucks woman. They don't fuck and that makes it really wholesome. So it's now the next day. As the poker game continues, Bond loses. That's right, he loses all the money by being arrogant and misreading Le Chiffre's tell. He's like, you must have thought I was bluffing, Mr. Bond. If you knew how to play poker, this is actually a tense scene. But I don't want to get into detail, I don't want to bore you with poker. Anyway, Bond's ego is hurt after losing to Le Chiffre. We really see his ego being kicked into balls. balls. He's, he's bummed out, so Vesper walks up to him and tries to comfort him. He tells her that, well, I'm going to need the 5 million rebuy, have the treasury authorize it. And she's like, no, I can't do that. You're impatient, you're arrogant, you lost because of your ego, and that same ego can't take it. That's why you're so upset. So she can't trust him with the five million rebuy because she thinks he's reckless. And then he grabs her arm. He tells her that you're a bloody idiot, and he walks away. He then sees Lashifra and because he is so furious, he grabs a steak knife on the table and he conceals it behind his forearm and goes after Le Chifre being reckless again. But Jeffrey Wright stops him and he introduces himself as Felix Leiter, Bond's friend from the CIA in the novels and some of the previous movies. But this is actually the first time the two characters encounter in this reboot, so that's cool. It's like a low-key bro moment that they have. And shout out to Jeffrey Wright, what a great actor, I love him. The guy's adorable with his short height, his manly, manly beard. So yeah, uh, they make a deal. Felix says, I'm bleeding chips. I'm terrible at poker. How about I stake you? It's another segment of what the frick does this word mean? Stake, verb. The term poker staking or simply staking refers to the act of putting up cash on behalf of a poker player in hopes that he or she wins. So basically, staking is giving a chunk of your chips and putting your faith on someone else's poker skills, and you get a share if that player wins. So yeah, the two makes a deal, I'll stake you so you can keep going, if you give me Le Chiffre to the CIA. And Bon asks, and this is really cool, but what about the winnings? And Felix says, he just laughs and smirks, does it look like we need the money? America! Now, Bond is back in the game, and he is kicking Le Chiffre's ass. Le Chiffre keeps folding, and yeah, he is slowly building his bank again. Bond orders another martini, takes a sip of it, but it's been poisoned by Valenka. Bond is dead dying so he gets up he's distressed he can't walk straight the floor the walls are melting he goes to his aston martin opens the first aid compartment and contacts mi6 by putting this weird gadget needle into his vein so people at mi6 can monitor his vitals so apparently Bond has been poisoned with Digitalis and he can go into cardiac arrest in seconds. So the people at MI6 guides him through the first aid compartment. It ends up with them telling him to grab the defibrillator, attach it to his chest and as it charges, press the button. After charging, the button won't do anything. He keeps pressing the button, but it won't defibrillate. It turns out there was a cable that wasn't attached. But before Bond attaches it, His heart stops and he passes out. But it's Vesper to the rescue. She shocks him back to life. And I love this man. This is so sweet. The first thing that Bond does after being dead is ask Vesper if she's feeling okay. What a gentleman. So yeah, he's back in the game. And seriously, I love the dialogue of this movie. It it just works. I love Bond's quips in this film. Unlike the previous ones, especially Pierce Brosnan's, I take it Mr. Bond's been explaining his Big Bang Theory. Oh yeah, I think I got the thrust of it. So Bond sits down and he says, sorry, the last hand it nearly killed me. It was so bad ass. And we get this bummed out look on Le Chiffre's face. He is disappointed. Eventually it ends up with everyone else losing. It's now down to two random criminal dudes and Bond and Le Chiffre. Everyone's going all in. The guy's like, five million, and the other goes, six, and the chiffre raises with 12 million, and Bon just goes, he arrogantly just goes, but he seems very sure, by the way, he raises with an all-in, 14,500,000 all-in. So he challenges Le Chiffre. So Le Chiffre, also, who looks very sure, calls it. There is now 115 million on the pot. This is it guys, moment of truth. Whoever has the best card wins this game. The first guy has got a flush. The second guy, a full house. But Le Chiffre has a higher full house, the highest card yet, and now, It's up to Bond. Its winner takes all. So what does Bond have? A straight flush. Trust me, this would be more dramatic if you understood poker. So the first time I saw this film, I didn't know how to play poker. I was 10 years old, so I was just lost the first time I saw this. Made me yawn a bit too. So Le Chiffre starts to cry blood, he walks down, he's disappointed. Bond is the winner! Vesper congratulates Bond, he asks her out, he asks her out to eat like a true gentleman. And we cut to a restaurant, the two are having dinner, they're celebrating, they're having champagne and caviar. Classy and douchey. Vesper asks him, doesn't it bother you when you kill those people? And James Bond, the man that he is, answers, I wouldn't be very good at my job if it did now, would it? He notices Vesper's necklace that she basically wore since the train. So he notices that, hey, this is special. He figured out what it was. It's an Algerian love knot. He asks, where'd you get it? She tries to evade the subject and goes, oh, I just bought it. I thought it was pretty. But it's obvious to Bond that someone gave it to her and realizes that Vesper has got a boyfriend of some sort. And he's bummed out, but he plays it cool. He says, he's a very lucky man gentlemen right? I mean if I were hitting on someone and somebody breaks that to me I just go goodbye. So Vesper gets a text. She says Mathis needs her. She exits. After seconds Bond realizes and I was so confused at the first time I heard this he just goes Mathis and chases after Vesper. I'm like what? What did Mathis do? I was so confused but yeah he goes out sees Vesper being kidnapped by Le Lechifre's men He runs towards his Aston Martin and tries to chase them. But shortly after a jump, he finds Vesper tied up in the middle of the road, causing Bond to turn the wheel very sudden to avoid Vesper, leading to a very, very violent car crash. It is fatal. I'm surprised that Bond survived this. I mean, yeah, this is just a movie, though. I mean, the Aston was swerving, flipping, doing, doing barrel rolls. Barrel rolls. Barrel rolls! By the way, this is... This was the world record in most car flips in a film. A total of seven. 007. So, Le Chiffre removes the tracking device embedded in his wrist, so MI6 won't be able to track Bond and him. We really ask ourselves, how the hell did he know all these things? How did he know that he had a tracking device? Le Chiffre tells Bond, It turns out, your friend Mathis is actually my friend Mathis. So Bond realizes that Mathis was the one who talked, because he was the only one who knew these things. Mathis and Vesper were the only ones that Bond told about Le Chiffre's Tell. That's why Bond lost the 10 million in the game earlier before. Le Chiffre faked his bluff because Mathis talked. And now it's one of the most iconic torture scenes. Bond is stripped naked on a chair without the actual seat. It was removed by Le Chiffre's henchman. So his balls, his ass is just dangling over there. And Le Chiffre has got this boat rope. They're in a barge, by the way. He has this boat rope that has like this huge knot in the end and he uses that to smash James's balls, to get him to tell the password. So Lechifre can take the money and finally pay his clients back. And it was just... uh, The first time I watched this, it was just so hard for me to get through. Any person with testicles would find it hard to watch this scene. Trust me. This torture scene is torture for male viewers. But what I like about this torture scene is Daniel Craig's acting. His performance is Oscar-worthy. The way he tries to shake off every time he gets hit in the nuts, he just goes, <sighs> "It's just so believable." And the way he laughs, he he mocks Lashifra going, "I've got i I've got a little itch down there. Do you mind?" And after getting hit in the balls again, he goes, "Did it right? Did it right? Did it right?" I've got a little edge, down there. Would you mind? No! 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 To the right! To the right! To the right! You are a funny man, Mr. Bond. Yeah! yeah! Ah! Ah! Mm. Yes! 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 yes. <laughs> now the whole world's gonna know that you are done scratching my balls. <laughs> yeah, he, he's never gonna tell him the password. Vesper's in the other room, she's screaming. But no, Bond just won't budge. He wants to stay in control. So Lashifra isn't giving up. He kicks Bond, knocking him over, and Le Chiffre was about to cut off his balls and feed it to him. But as soon as he lays his hands on Bond's precious scrotum, a mysterious British man arrives. It's Mr. White, the broker that we saw in the beginning, coming out from the room where Vesper was being held. He had killed Le Chiffre's men and Valenka. Now he's got a gun at Le Chiffre's face, and Le Chiffre You can tell, he is so scared. He pleads with him, telling him to wait. Tell our organization to wait. I'll get the money, he reassures White. I'll get the money. Tell them I'll get the money. To which White replies, money isn't as important to our organization as knowing who to trust. And then he shoots Le Chiffre in the forehead. We see his face on the floor with the gunshot on his head. It was so dark. They really maxed out the rated PG-13 in this film. So yeah, La Shiva's dead. Cue the credits. Gotcha. We're not done yet. The big bad baddie is dead. And it reminds us that nobody is safe in this movie. And hats off to that. And then, Bon wakes up in a hospital in Italy. And by the way, another thing that makes this film so good is I feel like I'm reading a book. I'm reading a novel, it feels that way. The pacing feels like that. Like we're now in Act 3. Act 1 was the introduction, you know, how James Bond earned his 007 license to kill, up to M's briefing in the Bahamas. Act 2 was the main chunk of the film, which was casino royale scenes, uh, the scenes from the Montenegro train, the poker game, the ball smacking torture scene, and Act 3, you'll see. Uh, The pace, the tone, it feels like I'm reading a novel. They feel like different genres, but at the same time, it never loses focus on the one plot. And the way it just transitions from one tone to another, you know, you really, you really understand that. Oh, now we're in act two. Oh, this is act three. So Bond wakes up by the garden at a hospital in Italy which is, like, not your common modern hospital, you know. It's, like, this rural-type hospital, countryside. And it is a gorgeous place. His thunderballs are recovering. He's on a wheelchair. Mathis is there with him, asking Bond, Have you ever thought about why they left you and Vesper alive? Do you ever wonder why they didn't just kill you? But he doesn't trust him. Meanwhile, Mathis is, like, weirded out, you know, he goes, it's, it's, it's odd that the mysterious man left you and Vesper untouched. Spaghetti linguini. But he later gets zapped in the back by two MI6 agents and drags him away. After some time, he wakes up again. This time in the sight of Vesper. And she is beautiful. She's wearing this beautiful green summer dress. Her eyes are gleaming. I jerked off to this woman a lot when I was 13. They share some dialogue, they're flirting, he says, Does this mean you're warming up to me? Because not so long ago, your feelings towards me, you hated me and you're disgusted by me. And she replies, I'm afraid I'm a very complicated woman. It was just so sexy. I love these romantic scenes in these movies. I know they're cheesy and shit, but I love them personally. So yeah, after a little bit of flirting, The moment's great until the happiest Swiss banker is back to ruin that. He just wanted to stop by so the millions of dollars can finally be transferred to Bond's account. So Vesper types in the account number, but she doesn't know the password. Bond tells her that she can do it. She can enter the password. And she's like, I would if I know what it was. So Bond tells her the password. V E S -S 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 P. E. R. And now the winnings has been transferred to Bond's Swiss account. For some reason, making your password into your girlfriend or your love interest's name makes them emotional and fall in love with you. I'm gonna change my lock screen password to my girlfriend's name after this. So yeah, uh, Vesper's emotional. They have, she's crying. They have this great dialogue. She tells him, If all that is left of you was your smile and your little finger, you'd still be more of a man than anyone that I've ever met. And Bond's reply was so weird, he says, that's because you know what I could do with my little finger. She notices, oh, he quipped, on a very meaningful moment, maybe he won't let me in anymore. She says, you've got your armor back on, that's that then. Which he replies, I have no armor left. You stripped it from me. Whatever is left of me, whatever I am, I'm yours. And they share a kiss and they fall in love. And they bang, see if the thunder balls still work. But oh man, I just cried. It was so romantic and so deep. I love their chemistry. I love it. Now they're on a beach. Instead of reporting back to MI6, Bond's chilling with Vesper. He goes, eh. Em's not gonna miss me for a couple of weeks. I gave him Mathis, so I deserve this holiday, Vesper asks. Mathis? And then he tells her about how Le Chiffre found out about his tell, how Le Chiffre found out about the tracking device in his arm. It was all Mathis, he tells her. Vesper was in disbelief. But yeah, Bond thought. Mathis had his back. And this is the hint of why I felt. Because when you when you watch this and you're in Act 3, you feel like, it's the end. It's happily ever after. Bond is happy. He's with Vesper. whoop dee doo So end the movie already. But while they're in the beach, after Bond explains to Vesper about Mathis's fate, Bond adds, well, there you go. Lesson learned. And that was a clear indication that this story isn't done yet. This story has more to offer. So yeah, James Bond admits his love to Vesper. And it is beautiful. He is so in love that he decided to quit MI6. He wants to just travel the world with her. They shared this line where, you know, I I want to live a normal life with you, with normal jobs. But I think it'll have to be you because I have no idea what a normal job is. (laughs) Because, you know, he's a secret agent. He's been a secret agent his whole life. When When I understood Bond more after watching all those movies, I was like... Wait a minute, this isn't Bond. This doesn't feel like Bond. This movie is basically discovering what the iconic James Bond actually means. But in this part of the movie, Bond hasn't discovered that yet. So now the couple is sailing at the Grand Canals in beautiful Venice, Italy. After some sailing, they bone and bone and bone in this fancy ass hotel. Vesper receives a text, and she says it's from her boss, and she texts back, Back in one month. Later that day, the two decide to prepare for the trip. Vesper will be withdrawing some money to buy themselves some supplies, because they're planning to go sailing for a couple of days. Bond walks up back into the room and and found Vesper's phone. She must have accidentally left it. And then M calls Bond, basically, hey man, I've received your resignation, but we'll talk about it later. Um, Where's the money, dude? Are you even gonna deposit it or what? The money was never deposited to the treasury. And this tips off Bond. He realizes that he was being used all along by Vesper. So he calls the happiest Swiss banker in town I'm having trouble accessing my account. Which account did you send it to again? And he goes, the account your company gave us Mr. Bond. And he realizes that Vesper was the only one who knew the account number. Not even MI6 because they never checked with Vesper. So Vesper could've just lied about the account number all along. For all we know, it's Vesper's personal account that was linked in the encryptor. MI6 and Bond was so focused on their enemies that they forgot to check their friends. Being double-crossed hits him so hard that you can tell because after some time of lofty romantic music, David Arnold's tense and suspenseful music makes a comeback and it tells you what Bond might be feeling like your heart is pounding you can't accept that the woman you fell in love with betrayed you and it feels heart-wrenching but there's no time for that Bond has got find Vesper. He looks at her phone which she left and he checks her messages from Mr. Gettler. Meet me in 30 minutes. So he runs around the piazza. He is looking for Vesper and eventually he spots her. Great cinematography, by the way. You really spot her from a crowd because she is wearing red while everyone in the background had darker clothing. Great attention to detail here. When I saw this, I was like, Ayun, Ayun, there she is, there she is. So he spots her and tails her into this alley and he turns off his emotions for her and being betrayed, he comes back to his cold-hearted self. He brings out his Walther P99, attaches the silencer and cocks it and it looked so cool by the way it's very noir if you like themes like that this is definitely the movie for you it's got a lot of noir elements and the music cueing too it it matches the visuals really goddamn well the music makes you feel like okay time to kill this bitch go get him 007 and yeah we finally see this getler fella vesper's contact he's got an eye patch to make him look more interesting and evil I don't know, it doesn't work. Yeah, uh, Vesper hands her the briefcase with the poker winnings. And again, being a terrible spy, Bond blows his cover again. He sucks at this. Uh, We get this one bit where Gettler grabs Vesper to hold her hostage. He points a knife at her, going, I'll kill her! And Bond just goes, Allow me. But before that, there are snipers in the buildings, they shoot at Bond, and Gettler and his men, with Vesper as hostage, flees back into this old building that is being renovated, so it's basically falling apart. Gettler locks Vesper in this elevator, so yeah, eh, action scene, which is mediocre at best, not the best action scene. Bond shoots these rafts, I guess, that supports the buildings? It's kind of like a distraction so he can break in into the building but it causes the building to fall apart. But yeah, eventually Bond kills the man and Gettler, he shoots him with a nail gun. But yeah, eventually Bond kills the man and Gettler and now it's time to try and save Vesper but she locks herself up and he tells him, I'm sorry James. The building tips over causing the elevator to slide and go underwater. So Bond jumps into the water to try and save her, regardless of her betrayal, but the door won't budge. As Bond was fiddling with the lock, we get this really, really emotional punch to the face. It really crushes your soul. But as Bond was fiddling with the lock, she comes up to him. She holds his hands and steadies them and she puts his hands to her cheek. We see Vesper drowning. You can see the life exiting her body, her eyes looks terrified. He's yelling underwater, he can't take it! And then... He finally opens the door, but it's too late, he grabs her arm and brings her ashore. He tries to give him CPR, he breathes into her mouth, and as he was giving the CPR, he was as he was trying to get Vesper back to life, I realized that this betrayal, this death, is what made this new James Bond, James Bond. This death is a wake up call, he can never fall in love. This death of Vesper, the death of Vesper is such an essential part of this Bond character. He can never fall in love. So after some mouth breathing, some boob pumping, he couldn't bring her back, she's gone. As he holds her into his arms, in the distance we see Mr. White, walking away with the briefcase. Then we cut over to a scene where Bond is sailing. He is sitting on his boat, he's talking to M. Do you want to know why you and Vesper didn't die in that barge? because she made a deal to save your life in exchange for the money. She was blackmailed by Le Chiffre's organization, which is the same organization where Mr. White is a member of, by the way, just clearing that up. M tells Bond that she had a boyfriend, an an Algerian national. Who was kidnapped by Lashifra's organization. So, for his release, she has to betray her queen and country by helping Lashifra. She was the one who told Lashifra about the tell. She was the one who told Lashifra about the tracking device. She was helping him all along. So, basically, she gave that money to the organization in exchange for her boyfriend that is being captive and for them not to kill Bond. M tells her that since it was all Vesper, this clears Mathis. But Bond doesn't believe that and he says, No, keep sweating him. It just proves that she's guilty, not that he's innocent. But honestly, Bond knows deep inside that this isn't true. He's just cold-blooded again. When M tells her that if you need more time to cope, I can allow you to spend more days to cope. But he answers very coldly, Why should I need more time? Job's done, the bitch is dead. We thought that the opening black and white sequence in the beginning of this movie was the Bond origin, but it turns out this whole movie is the actual Bond origin. He can never trust anyone anymore. He can't let his emotions take the upper hand. He won't let this happen again. She expects him to be back and he said he would. He's canceling their resignation. So yeah, uh, the trail's gone cold. MI6 has nothing to track down this mysterious organization. They have no leads. They won't be able to track down the organization anymore. So Bond is sailing. We see him examine Vesper's possessions. She sees the shell from the beach where he admitted her feelings for her. And she sees her phone. He checks it. He sees this draft that she left for him. And it quotes, For James, Mr. White. It's, uh, For James, Colin, Mr. White. And we see Mr. White's phone number on it. Oh yeah, we're back in the game. And, we, and then we cross Dissolve into this gorgeous villa in Lake Como in Northern Italy. White arrives, it's his estate after all. And yeah, he steps out of his car, he's checking the view, and he stretches and goes, Ah, what a wonderful rich life that I have. Then, he receives a phone call. Hello? The caller replies, Mr. White, we need to talk. Who is this? Ah! Who is this? Ah! He gets shot in the leg, and he tries to crawl into his villa. He's near the steps, but before he could get up the steps, we see a man holding an HK UMP submachine gun rifle with a suppressor in his three-piece suit, vest and jacket the fully-formed James Bond. The, J- the James Bond that we've always known. He walks up the steps, he answers Mr. White's question. The name's Bond. James Bond. And the music, the iconic James Bond theme plays in its full form for the first time, telling us that this is James Bond in his full form. He finally earned the name. Bond is cold. Bond is an assassin. Bond could never ever fall in love. He can't have a family. He can't have a wife. Because he carries such a heavy burden by protecting the world. By protecting queen and country. Every now and then a trigger has to be pulled. Or not pulled. Someone has to operate in the shadows. There will always be a need for that kind of hero. The name's Bond, James Bond.